When we look around us, we can see that there are problems. This isn't a hard thing to see. We can think about even what's happened very recently in the world around us. There was an earthquake that's killed tens of thousands of people and still has two different countries in the region very much on their knees. There was a train accident that's got a whole community concerned about if they can live in their homes. We go back a couple of years, we have a pandemic that now is divisive, but at the time it was terrifying and, and in between all of that, not knowing what to do and who to trust and how to respond. In the middle of that, we also have this threat of, is there gonna be a world war? Is there gonna be um, an escalation that we have to worry about nuclear weapons? And that's not to count all the things that happened in our own lives. The way that we struggle, the way that we've been hurt, the way we've lost people that we care for or had to have changes in our lives. We look around and it's easy to see that things aren't right. But why? Why aren't things right? This is the story that Lent asks us to enter into. Why aren't things right? Well, we're going to hear that story throughout Lent. And not only are we going to hear that story, but we're also going to be reminded of the part that we play in making the world not right. Because this is an important part of the story that if we don't actually stop to think about it, we easily overlook. But it's such an important part of the story. And today we begin to look at that. But also with Lent in today, we don't just look at why things aren't right, but we get a glimpse of how God is going to repair the brokenness. So if you need to take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be in Matthew 4, 1 through 11 today. On the pew, in the Pew Bible, that's page 1376. It will be up here on the screen if you'd also like to follow along. But let's take a look at these passage, this passage and see about why the world isn't right and how God plans to fix it. Now before we can look at the fix, we got to remember the problem. So the problem starts in Genesis. Now before we look at two, we have to remember that there's a couple pieces to this puzzle that aren't mentioned. Because before we look at the problem, we have to assume, okay, there must have been something that was supposed to be if it's no longer that way. Something the world was meant to be that it's not. And Genesis paints that picture. Now we get a picture here in verse 15 of chapter 2. But even before that, we see that God made the world with order and purpose and intent. And when he made the world this way, he put humans into that world and he said, I want you to be my partners to rule this with me. So as humans, we have a purpose to partner with God in ruling the world. And God equipped us for that purpose. And God said that I want to trust you. So that's what we see here in 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. So God said, I'm going to give you this responsibility. I've made this world that's in harmony, that is good. And I'm going to trust you to care for it, to make it something better. So it's almost as if God made the world and put humans into it. But he said, okay, now we get to work together to make this something magnificent, to make it flourish. So this is the human responsibility. And God said, I'm not going to let you do it alone. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, he said, you are free to eat from any tree in the, in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God also says, okay, I'm going to give you nourishment. So I'm going to provide for your needs. And I'm going to show you how to live. The world was made a certain way. We just talked about it last week. Or maybe it was two weeks ago. That there's a puzzle that only goes together one way. And God says, I'm going to show you how this puzzle fits together. And so he says, eat from any tree. But he says, there's this one tree that I don't want you to eat. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now this tree represents the choice. The choice that every human has, including us. Are we going to trust God? Or are we going to trust ourselves? Are we going to do it God's way? Or I like to say, are we going to live the way of Jesus? Or are we going to live our own way? And this choice comes down to, are we going to follow God? Or are we going to be our own God? That's the choice. And the humans are in the garden and they make their choice. Now this is a serpent. We're not going to read all of it again. So the serpent says to the, to the woman and the man, he says, For God knows... That when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what the servant says is, no, you're not going to die if you eat from the tree. You're going to become like God. So the, the humans are like, well, wait a minute. Maybe God is keeping from us something that we ought to have and deserve. And so they have this choice. And this is what happens. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So look what it says. When they saw that what was good. Now God had already told them what was good. He made the world and said the world as it is ordered and purposed is good. And so all God said is now this is the puzzle. It's put together and it's good. And you get to be a part of the puzzle if you follow me. And the humans say, well, wait a minute. We see this puzzle over here. Or we want to try to put it together a different way. And that is good. So they eat. But when they eat, what happens is they're immediately recognized that the harmony is gone. They realize that they're naked. They want to cover themselves. The harmony, the peace is gone. And in its place is death and chaos and brokenness. This is where the story starts. For Lent, we must understand that this is the story, that we're all living. That we live in a world where humans have rebelled. And now we're trying to figure out how to live in this world, but without God, the one who made us and said, I will show you the way to life. So we're trying to find life, but we're lost because we don't know where to look or we try to decide where to look. And the world has a million answers to this. And our culture has a million answers to this. But we need to ask ourselves, are we going to listen to our culture and the world? Or are we going to look to the one who made us to answer this question of what it looks like to live and to find life? Because humans, we are in rebellion. This is where the story of Lent starts. And so we must understand, we must be reminded of this, that we are in rebellion. That we are a people lost, trying to find our way in a world. We were given a purpose, and instead of living that purpose, we want to make our own purpose. 
We want to find our own reason to live. And because of that, we see death and chaos all around us. But the good news of Lent is that we know that there is hope coming. That God doesn't want to leave things broken. And that's what Matthew 4 starts to tell the story of. And it tells the story of Jesus. So this is how the story in Matthew 4 verse 1 starts. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So now Jesus is going to have his own moment of testing. When we read the Bible, when we see the word then, and we say, okay, this is chapter 4, the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, okay, well, what came before? Because then implies that something is happening, happening next. So if we look at what happened at the end of chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. We talked about the baptism of Jesus earlier in the season of Epiphany. So if you're interested in that, there's a sermon on YouTube and on the Facebook, or on the um, website for Epiphany. It would be the first Sunday, or the second Sunday of Epiphany that you would find that sermon. Now, Jesus is baptized, and he begins his ministry with a test. Is he going to be able to be faithful? That's the question. And so he's led into this test. Now, this is what we're told about the test. After 40, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him, and he said— Now, before we look at what he said, look here, 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, and you've noticed this throughout the years— but 40 is an important word in the, or for, important number in the Bible. 40 is all over. But the 40 that we really need to connect this to is the 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. In the wilderness, Israel was tested for 40 years. Were they going to trust God? What Jesus is going to do is he's going to relive this test. So this is the, the test that he's given. The first one is the tempter, later called the devil— and we find out his identity at the end, says this, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. If you fast for 40 days, you're going to be pretty hungry, right? So the tempter says, okay, look, here's some stones. Why don't you turn those to bread? Now Jesus would be able to do this, but the question comes down to, is he going to take his hunger into his own hands, or is he going to trust his father? Now, if we think about the story of Israel in the wilderness, there is at least two stories of them about food, and there's at least two stories of them about water. They want food, and so God provides manna that comes out of the sky. Then they want meat, so they have all these quails that show up. And with the manna story specifically, God says, only take as much as your family needs. And he says, on the last day of the week— collect enough for two days because there won't be any on, or maybe it's the second to last day because it's the seventh day, the day of the Sabbath, he says, you will not collect. So in both of those cases, the people collect more than they need and it spoils. And then they go out on that seventh day looking for manna and they don't find it. So they don't listen. They don't trust God to provide. And then on top of that, they complain constantly about food and water. They don't trust God to provide. So now Jesus is reliving this story for the Jewish people. Is he going to trust God? Or is he going to make food for himself? And this is what he says. Then Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus says, No, I am not going to turn these stones into bread. I'm going to trust my Father. So then the devil 
took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So now the second temptation God, your father, says that he will care for you. He will protect you no matter what. So, Jesus, says the devil, let's see if that'll happen. And he even quotes scripture this time. He quotes one of the Psalms and he says, God will send his angels to protect you. So, the devil says, throw yourself off this high point and see if your father saves you. Just like Israel a number of times in the wilderness and even to the days of Jesus took into their own hands their own protection rather than trusting their father. Just today in confirmation, we looked at Samuel, the story of the book of 1 Samuel. In that book, there's a story of the Israelites taking the Ark of the Covenant. If you've seen Indiana Jones, that thing that comes out and attacks people when they open it in the first Indiana Jones movie, so they take the Ark of the Covenant and they take it with them when they go to a battle because they think that they have this prize and then they lose. And then so their enemy takes that Ark to their temple. And God working through that moment of being captured, he defeats their enemies. And the story that we see is that God is not someone who is our prize. He's someone to be trusted. Israel struggled with this all the way through. They struggled to say, well, I trust God, or do I have him and have a hold of him and he is my good luck charm? He is my genie in a bottle. He will do whatever I say. Or do I need to trust that he will care for me? That's the question that Jesus has. And this is his response. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus says, look, yes, my father will protect me, but I also am not gonna test him. I'm not gonna put myself in harm's way just to see if he cares, because that's not what it's about. We trust God to care for us. Are we gonna trust? Jesus says, I trust my father, but I'm also not gonna test him. And now we see this final. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if only you will bow down and worship me. So this final test is, the ultimate one for Jesus. If you were here for the first Sunday of Epiphany, whenever we had told the story of the Magi, you know in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has already been proclaimed king of the world. That Magi story is people from not Israel, but from the far corner of their world coming to recognize Jesus as king. Jesus is already king of the world. But the question remains, well, how is he going to take that throne from Satan? And Satan says, I will give it to you if you worship me. Now Jesus knows my father has a different plan to give me this throne. So the temptation that Jesus has that we all face, are we gonna trust God and live the way of Jesus now, Jesus can't live his own way. He's making the way. Is he going to trust his father's will? Or is he going to do his own will? Is he going to worship Satan and, give, and be given the throne that way? 
That's the temptation. It's back to the garden. Are we going to trust God or are we going to make our own way? And Jesus has to decide. And this is what he says. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus, he worships his father. And he does not bow down to, and look, he says his name, Satan. The one who is leaving the rebellion against his father. The one who's leading the rebellion against God. He says, I know who you are. You're trying to get me to disobey. But I will follow the will of my father. Because he alone is worthy of my worship. He alone knows what is good. He alone will make the world again to be full of harmony and hope. In verse 11, which didn't get up here, says, Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. So once Jesus passes the test, his father does see him, and he does meet his needs. Now this story ends, and we see that Jesus, just like us, had to face this question. Will he remain faithful to his father, or is he going to find his own way? The Lenten season is about exploring these ideas in our own life. The ways that we fail to remain faithful. The ways that we struggle to live the way of Jesus. The ways that we deeply, deeply are flawed and need to be remade. But also, the story of Lent is this hope. That we don't do it alone. That we have Jesus And we see already that Jesus lived the life we can't. So even though we might want to live this way and we struggle, and I imagine many of you, if you've sat in a number of Christian services throughout your life, you've heard this a million times. But the answer remains, I know how I'm supposed to live. It's not that I don't know, it's that I struggle to do it. And the first thing we need to realize during Lent, yes, we struggle and it's not what we have to do. Because Jesus lived the life that we can't. And then when we think about what Paul said, we see the story of Lent really come in to picture. Consequently, this is just those last two verses of what he said. Just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, and we just saw that read in chapter 3 of Genesis, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many were made righteous. Now I know that Paul is hard to read. I know that that passage is confusing. This is what Paul is saying. And this is the good news. Jesus lived the life we can't so we can have the life we don't deserve. And that's what we need to realize during Lent. We don't deserve what was given to us. God didn't have to make things right, but he wanted to make things right. But that came with a cost. Every choice has consequences. Someone has to pay those consequences. And Lent is a season when we realize that we have made choices and we ultimately don't pay the consequences. 
because someone else has for us. Someone who lived a life that we can't. And Jesus is the one that lived that life. Jesus lived the life that we can't so that we can have the life we don't deserve. And as much as this is good news, there is an element of it that is very heartbreaking and difficult to swallow. That someone would love us so much that he would do that. Also knowing how many would reject him and say, I don't care. I'm going to continue to live this life that I want to live. But for those of us who want to reflect, to grow, to realize we're not always going to want to be the people that we were, Jesus stands there. And Lent is that season where we're invited to start that journey. Jesus lived the life that we can't so that we can have the life that we don't deserve. Now, the many of Christians who lived before us came to realize that if we don't remember this story often, we forget. And that we don't want to think about it. And because of that, they had the wisdom to say, once a year for 40 days, we are going to spend time in prayer and fasting and giving from our own abundance the blessing God has given us as an act of remembering and reminding of ourselves of who we really were before God made us who we get to be. So there's those 40 days and there's five weeks of worship where we remember, and that is the season of Lent. The season when we remember that Jesus lived a life that we can't so that we can have the life we don't deserve. So this is what we face in Lent. We face this story. The story that we were made to be partners with God in a creation that was full of harmony and goodness and purpose. But that we decided to no longer follow God's design and try to make our own design. To put things together how we see. And that that led to rebellion and brokenness and a world of chaos. And God wants to put that world back together. But to do so, he first has to come into that world and live the life that we could not live. And then offer himself as a sacrifice so that we could be set free from that payment that was owed because of his, because of our debt. And so he pays that debt. He covers our life. And he says, now I defeat death by resurrecting my son to live a new life. But before we get to that story, we have to know where we start. And we start in rebellion. We start remembering that Jesus lived a life that we can't so that we can have the life we don't deserve. Now I, hard, I know this is hard to swallow, but it's crucial to our faith. It's one of the reasons we do a confession every single week. We cannot forget the people that we were. We cannot forget the people we could easily become again before we get to celebrate the people that Jesus wants to make us. So my challenge for you during this Lenten season, utilize the things that we're doing. That call is so easy to do. You call a number, you put in the code, it's prompted, you don't have to talk to anybody. You just listen. It's five nights a week. At eight o'clock, you have to stop what you're doing long enough to do it. It's about a discipline. And then on those Wednesday nights, 
Come, hang out with your church family. Have a meal. Let us work together to become stronger, united in what God has called us to do so that we can grow to serve those around us to proclaim this message. I know that it can be a dark time in Lent, but Lent is meant to have this air of darkness because before we get to celebrate the light of Easter morning, and if you've ever been here in a sunrise service, we start with everything dark and covered. All the flowers, everything is covered in death. But then we get to celebrate that resurrection, that life that comes because of Jesus. But before we celebrate the resurrection, we need to enter that darkness, which is what Lent is about. Entering that darkness where we find the hope and the goodness of the light of Easter morning. So before Easter, we need to remember what happened first. And remember that Jesus lived a life that we can't so that we can have the life we don't deserve.